Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Sarah. And I'm Gabby. And we are two first-year physical therapy students sharing our grad school experiences to help PT students around the world. Embark on this journey with us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. Are you struggling financially in PT school? Are you a PT student struggling to find scholarships? Not enough scholarships offered at your school. We have started the Gratitude Scholarship for PT students, no matter what year, no matter what school you guys can apply. We are raising $5,000. You can check out our GoFundMe link in the description and you can donate, apply, whatever, check it out. We are so excited to be giving this away in the summer of 2019 for our very first time. If you're enrolled in the summer of 2019, interested in applying for the scholarship, you can submit a video no longer than two minutes answering these two questions. What is your vision of physical therapy in the future? And what are you doing outside of the classroom as a PT student? If you answer these two questions and email us the video and submit it before May 1st, then you will be eligible for the scholarship. So check it out, guys. Definitely worth applying. It doesn't take long. We look forward to hearing all your submissions. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Gratitude. We have Zachary Long with us today at the Barbell Physio. Welcome, Zach. Thanks for having me. It's always nice to talk to uh, individuals that are going above and beyond to improve their skill set and, and help our profession out. So it's my pleasure to be here. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and we'd love to know, first of all, a little bit more about yourself. So tell people about what you're doing right now. Like literally right now? Standing literally right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> right where you are. I'm a physical therapist in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, with my primary focus being working with fitness athletes and helping other medical providers better understand the needs of fitness athletes. And by fitness athletes, we mean people performing uh, CrossFit, Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, and, and movements, exercise programs similar to those. Yeah, and there's a lot of people, at least I know I have a lot of classmates interested in doing something very similar to what you're doing. It's becoming a very popular thing, kind of combining, you know, the sports performance aspect of physical therapy with physical therapy, and I, I think that's so cool. Yeah, we're at a really cool time in our profession where, where a lot of people are understanding how how much physical therapists specifically can impact those populations that are doing things to try to stay you know incredibly active and get minor nicks and dings every now and then and need somebody that actually understands what they're doing to help them out so i'm, I'm glad that our profession has been at least a lot of people in our profession have been moving in the right direction towards that although too many people are still really hesitant yeah <laughs> to join the, the that movement and too many in our profession continue to bash CrossFit and things like that. But yeah, there's a rant that y'all probably don't want me to get on. <laughs> no, I love the rant. I love the rant. Uh, but first, I do want to hear, what is your journey to the doctor of physical therapy like before PT school and getting into it? Uh, when I was an undergrad at, at University of North Carolina, I spent a couple of years working with the football team there in, in the strength and conditioning department and working strength, con strength and conditioning at uh, – a uh, high school as well, running their summer programs for the football team, and really thought that, that strength and conditioning would be the direction that I went, and 
after being in it for a couple of years, I just realized that it wasn't the, the right challenge for me and wasn't the right fit for me long-term. Ended up working at a tech, as a tech at a physical therapy clinic and fell in love with it. So went back to school at East Carolina University and started working in kind of general orthopedics for a while before moving my way more back towards the, the sports and strength and conditioning realm and, and getting back in uh, a situation where I kind of combine those two loves in, in the way that best fits me. So I get to throw around heavy barbells in the clinic and help fitness athletes stay active. I got the greatest job in the world. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, just that you get to, to do that every day and help athletes get to their um, you know, optimal performance is so great. So I know um, before this, we were uh, looking. So you have your SCS, correct? Yeah, SCS. Yeah. Okay. And for people who don't know um, what that stands for, it's Sports Clinical Specialist, correct? Sports Clinical Specialist or Sports Certified Specialist? One certified of those. One of those. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what inspired you to get that? And um, when did you get it? Was it during PT school or after? Oh, probably be after PT school. Yeah. So you can only get that after and you have to get it one of two ways, either by going through a residency, which I did not do, or by spending a significant amount of hours working in that specific population. And then either way, you end up taking the, the big certification exam for that. Um, but what basically led me to getting that was um, knowing that I wanted to get more into instructing. That's kind of one of those things that I think if you're teaching courses to a lot of people, that's kind of something that they want to see that you have, you know, your OCS or SCS or whatever that applicable uh, certification is, or that you've gone through fellowship, that you've done something a little higher up. I think that's one thing that it's not, an in-stone requirement, but I think it's one thing that really helps for that. So that's why I decided to do it. And, and I'm much more sports oriented in nature. So I chose to go for the sports certified specialist or whatever it is, instead of the orthopedic one. And for those who don't know, like the main differences between the orthopedic one and the sports one, could you just go over those? Oh, gosh. Um, I would guess that they're probably pretty similar. I, I can't really talk about the content within those two tests. I know the sports setting um, the, the one difference that I do know exists is the sports uh, specialist exam focuses a lot more on, on the field management of injuries. And what do you do if something happens right then and there? So you're going to have to get like your emergency medical responder certification prior to doing that so that they know that you can respond to, to big emergencies when they happen. And you know what to do if somebody's on a football field and has a, a spinal cord injury. They want to know that you can handle that sort of stuff, which I think is probably the main difference, but I'm not a specialist in what the specialist exams cover. No, but that's so good to hear from someone who has the SCS to hear it is more like acute injuries, like something happening right now. What do you do? How do you react? And I think that's super important for people to know because they may have no clue. They may just be looking at the initials. Be like, I'm not really sure it has the word sport in it. So I think I should get it. <laughs> so what advice would you have, I know we talked about CSCS versus SCS. So I know you have strong opinions about CSCS. Tell us uh, any advice for PT students looking into the CSCS or, or non-PT students, you know, undergrads can get that as well. So the CSCS stands for Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. It's a certification put out by the National Strength and Conditioning Association. It's a certification that I do not have. It's not one that I'm, I'm gonna even say is a bad certification. My problem with it and, and what I always say to physical therapists when they ask me if they should get it is that, you know, it's, it's a written exam. It's a book exam. Can you memorize these facts, these numbers on how to write 
programming and nutritional stuff for athletes, it does nothing to help physical therapists be able to better coach or analyze human movement. So that's the big pitfall I see in it is most of the people that I know that have, I think physical therapy profession as a whole, we're, we're too far behind in our strength and conditioning knowledge. And I know a lot of physical therapists that have their CSCS and can't even appropriately load somebody in the clinic if they're trying to actually build. They just got the test and they don't know how to actually apply that, those things. And so if you're going to get any sort of strength and conditioning certification, you have to be able to take it to the point of being able to apply that. So you need to have spent some time doing some strength and conditioning work yourself to have you know, a feel for what these different training variables are like. You need to have spent some time coaching people so that you can actually get good at analyzing human movement and coaching and correcting it. Because one of my jobs is I teach continuing education courses to physical therapists uh, around the nation. And I go around teaching them how to analyze the squat, deadlift, the Olympic lifts, pull-ups, et cetera. In every single course I go to, I'm kind of surprised at physical therapists and actually how poor we are at coaching these movements. And, and we don't, um, we're not very good at, at giving good cues to athletes, whether that's verbal, visual, tactile cues, little basics like that. We just aren't good enough at. And so if we haven't spent a significant amount of time coaching human movement, I don't think in the clinic we can do very well. The best physical therapists I know at coaching and correcting human movement are those that have spent a lot of time actually coaching for performance. Because if you go coach a CrossFit class or a high school strength and conditioning class, you have 10 to 50 students in that class and you're running around uh, like a chicken with your head cut off, trying to correct as much human movement as possible in, the, in the, these little tiny pieces of time. And so you become really, really good at it. And when I go and teach these courses all the time, uh, the other physical therapists are like, why, how did you pick out that? How did you know to go there or give this cue? And my answer is always just that I've seen that many athletes move because I coached CrossFit for years and strength and conditioning for years, that those number of reps can't be replicated by anybody unless they've been in the physical therapy clinic for 30 years. Because every time I taught, you know, if I taught four CrossFit classes in a, in a week, that's 80 people that I saw move. Most physical therapists don't see 80 patients in a week. So, so in one night of coaching, I saw more than most physical therapists see in a week, plus my physical therapy practice. So the, the CSCS, because they don't have any of these practical components where they work on coaching, I think doesn't fully answer what physical therapists need from, the, from a strength conditioning certification component. Because we, we miss that art of coaching in that course. Um, again, that doesn't mean that it's bad. It, it, it's useful stuff, but I just don't see physical therapists coming away with that certification, knowing how to actually apply it. And, and so they only get 50% of what they need. And then I also have a problem with the NSCA as a whole because they publish fraudulent data to try to discredit CrossFit and then refuse to, to remove it from their journal when they were called out on it, got taken to, uh, I think it was a state Supreme Court and lost that battle in court. So yeah, I don't want to support an organization that publishes fraudulent data for the sole purpose of discrediting their competition. I don't think that's an organization that, that I really want to stand behind a whole lot. Now, given that, I, I do still read their journal, but that just still ticks me off a little bit um, and makes me question some of the things that are going on there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because like you said, you don't want to, especially when, <clears throat> excuse me, when instructing your patients, like if you're, if you're looking at this, this research and data and it's not true, then what, what are you doing to make your patients better? Like it's, it's like fraudulent, like you said. Um, yeah. So I, I, I understand um, where you're coming from when it comes to, um, you know, physical therapists and getting the CSCS. So 
for PT students, would you suggest, you know, after school, um, would it be a good investment and a good, um, you know, long time thing to get your SCS? I think that depends on, on what you want to do. You know, the, the SCS, the OCS, we're talking SCS now, not CSCS? Correct. Okay. So the, the, the physical therapy, sports certified specialist or OCS, whichever of those ones you want to go. Um, I think that their job for physical therapists is to showcase your skills and knowledge to other physical therapists. I've never had a patient come to me because I had my SCS certification and say, oh, that's the guy I need to see. He's got this special certification. Not once has that happened. And I've had that for two and a half years or maybe more now, um, maybe three years. What it is good for is if you're, you're looking at changing jobs, I think there are a lot of physical therapy companies that would put weight towards you having one of those certifications and that might help you uh, get in the door, get into the interview before somebody else that doesn't have it. Um, but I know some companies that don't care about it. It's a huge time investment and in how much, uh, how much studying you have to do for it. it. It costs a significant amount of money. I think it, I think between the prep course and the application and the actual testing fee, it was probably a $2,000 investment. And, and at least the company that I worked for, um, you know, they don't give me a pay bump or anything like that for it. I know there are some companies that will, reimburse after you know your exam fees after you do it um, but not everybody will so it, it's really weighing it out to see if it's worth it for you or not for me the the prep course was a great course i took evidence and motions scs prep course and i learned a lot in the prep course so so that certainly was worth it and then to have those letters as as somebody teaching it in education i think it was worth it for me yeah so it's worth it you know for people who are going to change jobs uh, basically what you're saying and any other situation where you think, yes, you should definitely go get this um, before you do whatever you're going to do next besides teaching clinical education courses? Um, no. Okay. No. I mean, it helps for, helps for jobs. It's kind of one of those things you want to see that people that, that are presenting have. And um, maybe if you just want to learn the stuff covered in the exam. Yeah, but it's not all about the exams, is what I'm hearing from just in general. I mean, no, it's about the knowledge that you gain from from working on those exams for sure. So you know, in a case by case example, there are going to be plenty of people that that don't need to worry about doing that. That need to instead go take a course on how to treat fitness athletes or how to perform cervical manipulations, and that may be something that's lower on the totem pole of what they need to get. Yeah, absolutely, and. You said for your work, they don't necessarily like give you any kind of reimbursement. Um, do you find that to be more common in your experience or from the people that you talk to where you get something you think maybe you should get a reimbursement for, but you don't necessarily? I don't know. I haven't asked enough people if they got reimbursed for it to really have an accurate answer there. I know some people that did get a pay bump. I know a lot of people that didn't. So that's going to be a company by company thing and something to look into. If you're thinking about it, something to look into in your contract and see, is that something that you might possibly get paid for? I went very weird on my contract with my current company where I just said, I don't want, I don't want sick days. I don't want vacation days. I don't want anything except for percentage of collections. I don't even get a salary. I get a percent of everything that I bring in and I basically negotiated everything else away to take a slightly higher percentage than I would have otherwise gotten. So that's just how I did it. You can negotiate a lot of variables and salaries. Y'all remember that when you go for jobs. Oh yeah, for sure. I know that's so important. And, you know, we still have, we still have a few years, but the, the negotiation part is 
uh, definitely something that I'll have to, we'll both have to kind of look up and um, figure out, you know, what's best for negotiation and kind of what's not, especially as new grads. Um, but uh, kind of switching gears a little bit, um, what was the origins of Barbell Physio? Um, what made you kind of want to start that and turn it more into um, like a platform as it is now? I started my website when I was in school and originally it was just um, a way for me to put thoughts down and to force myself to stay current on certain research topics and ideas. And eventually a couple of years after graduating, I um, rebranded it to the Barbell Physio. So I've had the website for a long time, but it wasn't called the Barbell Physio. So I rebranded it to better, um, to have a name that better focused on, on who I was targeting and, and what my specific skill set was. And then decided at that time as well that it was something that I wanted to turn into an actual business and, and go about setting myself up to where I can impact more people um, through it. So that's kind of when I went all in and, and fixed the website up and started publishing more, uh, more articles, more in-depth articles and, and doing a lot more as far as promoting ideas and exercises and thoughts on social media platforms. But started out as a way for me to be different and then transitioned to a way for me to um, impact more people because I could only see so many people in a week when I'm treating one-on-one. -on -one. And I wanted to, to reach people around the world, not just people in Charlotte, North Carolina, not just the 50 or 60 people that I treat. And I couldn't think of a better way than using an online platform to do that. Yeah, so when did you start it in school? Uh, I started it like three months before I graduated from physical therapy school. So probably been having, had a website for five and a half years now. It's probably, it's been branded the Barbell Physio for probably three and a half years now. And I really went all in on it about three years ago. Yeah, because it's amazing. You have a huge following and people love your material. And I've had some classmates be like, oh my gosh, you're interviewing Barbell Physio. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Just remember, it's anybody can start something. Exactly. Anybody can start a podcast. Anybody can start a website or an Instagram. I have, you know, 130 some thousand followers on Instagram and however many on Facebook because I've done it for a long time and I've stayed very, very consistent with it. You know, I get messages from people all the time. They're like, how do I grow? You know, I only have X number of followers, X number of people that listen to my podcast. I'm like, well, how long have you been doing it? Two months. Like, all right, keep doing that for about three, four, five more years. And then you'll have a following. It's about sticking it out. And you have to realize that you're not going to have a lot of followers for a long time. I invested a lot of money into my website for, for three years before I ever made any profit on it before it ever became something that was a, a good source of revenue for my family, I put in a lot of time. Yeah, I think that's so important for people to know because like you said, nobody's really an overnight success. Yeah, I got a message from a, uh, I think it was a PT student the other day. He was like, can I pay you to repost my content? <laughs> I was like, no man. I, I looked back at when his first post was and it was a month and a half ago and he'd only been reposting stuff of other people's, which there's nothing wrong with reposting other people's stuff. But I was like, man, if you really want to grow this into something, you've got, to, you've got to start putting your own ideas out there a little bit. You've got to get in front of the camera yourself and you, then you've got to get consistent with it for a while. There's no shortcuts in just paying people off to get there. That, that'll gain you some followers, but that won't gain you people that, that have a, a true depth of love for what you're doing. And I think more people need to focus on creating a, a depth of followers rather than a width of followers. I don't really care that I have 130,000 Instagram followers. I care more about different other metrics that, that better reflect how much impact I'm having on people's lives and how many people I'm really, really reaching versus how many people that go and like a video on Instagram. That doesn't matter too much. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And especially, you know, like you said, it was a PT student who reached out and as students, you know, we have a lot on our plate already. Mm-hmm. And I know with Sarah and I, I mean, yeah, we have busy times, but you know, we stay consistent with it because we want this to grow into something and we're doing more than what we're expected to do. And mm-hmm. so I think that's um, really important, but kind of going back to your days in PT school, um, what is you know, piece of advice or something that you would have changed or piece of advice for a PT student that you would give? The only thing that I probably would have changed is while I was in PT school, you know, I was, I was always reading different blog, uh, different blogs, different research articles, going to state conferences, but I would have spent more time trying to develop some deeper relationships with people. I would have, I knew I wanted to move back to Charlotte where I was from after PT school. So I would have you know, spent some of my winter breaks going to, you know, local clinics in the setting that I wanted to work at and just shadowing even though I was in PT school. So that when I graduated, I could call up, you know, whatever physical therapy clinic down the road I I was possibly interested in working on. And they knew me by name because I'd spent time there where I would have gone to more continuing education courses and and network with people. Um, And I I would have gone to real big continuing education courses while state conferences and CSM and those sort of things are nice. I think you get such small bits of information from people. It's hard to learn a whole lot in a, you know, hour and a half long talk. So I, if I could go back, I would have invested in going to, you know, some weekend seminars at different places where I would have had a couple of days to meet and talk with the instructor of that course and, and other clinicians and try to create some um, deeper networks those ways. And it kind of reflects what you said about your following too. You're like, it doesn't really matter about the width. It's more about the depth of your connections in general on social media and just in real life. Um, I think that's so important for students and PTs to understand. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't have gone and jumped around to 10 different clinics in the Charlotte area. I would have gone to two or three and really spent time with those two or three and really tried to understand their systems. Cause I'd learned, I'd learn more from spending a lot of time with them and, and just have them understand my personality and where I want to go. And again, just recognize me by name so that when I am ready for a job, I can send them my resume and they're not just looking at random name at the top. They're like, Oh, that's Zach who comes by every break and is passionate and, and things like that, that they know a lot more about. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think it's super important. And Gabby, you were saying you're just going to go shadow some people today too, right? Yeah, I was going to say, so Zach, I don't know if you <laughs> know this, but um, my parents live in Fort Mill and okay. coincidentally enough, both my parents currently, as far as I know, go to the Fort Mill clinic that year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carolina Sports Clinic has uh, four different locations. That Fort Mill location is actually a separate business. So I don't ever go down there and I don't, I don't even actually know the clinicians that work there. <laughs> oh, got it. But yeah, I was, um, I was telling Sarah earlier, I'll have to get in contact with you afterwards because I am currently on break and I, you know, I like going to clinics and shadowing. So potentially maybe shadowing you for a day during this break, but we talk more about that later. Yeah, awesome. Love to have you. Yeah, everyone's in North Carolina, man. I'm just up here, like, <laughs> in Pennsylvania. Um, anyway, so let's go talk a little bit about your CrossFit origins, Zach. So when did you start CrossFit, and what got you started? Um, I was paying attention to CrossFit for a long time. Um, I've always been much more into the strength game than the strength game, than the, the endurance world and conditioning. 
Um, but I was paying attention to it because I, I saw really early on how so many people in military and law enforcement were adopting it. And I started really looking into it because my brother's military and I kept encouraging him to, to get into it. So he started doing it a little bit. And then um, when I graduated from physical therapy school, um, I started going to a CrossFit gym right out of the gate. And so I went to, um, I was a member of two different CrossFit gyms for about three years in my first three years of practice as a physical therapist. And then, uh, then I decided that home gym was a better option for me. Uh, I was going to a gym and I was getting 30 minutes of questions from people before every workout um, because they knew my skill set and that was my population. And it's for me working out as a way to relax my mind and turn off and I couldn't get that there. And the website was getting so busy that I needed a place to, to shoot pictures and videos anytime I wanted. So I just decided to build a home gym out. And uh, my wife said, as long as I keep it to half of the garage, I can do that. And uh, I have slowly overtaken pretty much the entire garage. And uh, <laughs> she tolerates it, but every now and then we get into a little argument because she's like, what happened to my side of the garage for my car? <laughs> <laughs> Is that where you're at right now with your yeah. like barbell physio in the background? Yep. Yep. Love it. So I did CrossFit uh, in gyms for three years on my own for about a year. In the past year, um, you know, CrossFit can get mentally and physically a little exhausting at times. And so I sat down about a year ago and, and wrote down what my fitness goals were and, and life and business goals were for the year. And um, when I wrote them down, all of my goals were strength oriented. And I just said, huh. Oh. Maybe I should take a little break from CrossFit and, and focus on these strength goals. I, I wanted to hit a, uh, certain numbers on, on the bench squat and deadlift, and I fell 15 pounds short of that um, about a month ago. So I'll probably run through another strength cycle of training so that I hit that number and then probably get back into some more CrossFit training. That's so close to your goals, 15 pounds. So you've been working on that all year? Is that what you said? Yeah, it's been a year that I was trying to get to uh, to a 300-pound bench, 400-pound squat, 500-pound deadlift. I got the bench and squat and the deadlift. I, I lifted 485, and then I lifted 500, but I got it to my knees and couldn't bring it any further up. So. Oh, so close. close. But it happens. Um, that's the, the cool thing about the barbell is it, it teaches you a lot of life lessons and makes you get patient and makes you work consistently. So I'm, I'm excited to go back to the drawing board and, and look at, you know, where in the deadlift I missed it. What muscle groups were weak in the deadlift that, that led to me being less likely to make that lift so that I can come up with a, a really good strategic game plan to make that goal happen next time around. So I really like doing that. That's one thing about CrossFit that I, I wasn't super passionate about is, is the volume in CrossFit is, is so much that it's hard to add a lot of extra. You can do a little bit of accessory work, but you can't just continue to add volume, volume, volume. And so for me, working on some very specific goals strength-wise, I knew I had certain weaknesses, but it would be really hard to then throw in extra accessory work to constantly be addressing those weaknesses. Um, so for me, that, that's what's really fun about powerlifting right now. And what I enjoy the most is after a block of training, after a month, I sit there and look at, all right, this is what I saw happen with my numbers. This is what I was doing accessory-wise. You know, if, if I didn't do as good as I, I wanted to do, I can look back at that accessory work and see, you know, is there something that I think probably wasn't the best accessory move for me to do? If I had a great month, why was it great? And what do I need to do to continue those, those gains going? So that, that really uh, fires me up to look back on my training and, and help other athletes make those decisions. It's just hard to do with CrossFit. Yeah, especially with your background, you know, having a PT background, that helps so much. That just supplements, you know, like you said, when you're, when you don't know like what muscle group is weak, then you can go back and think, all right, I know I can kind of understand like what's weak in order to reach your goals, like you said, but you'll get there. 
I think one thing interesting there though is, is do most physical therapists have the ability to analyze somebody's squat and tell them why they're weak in the squat? Because how we currently measure strength is via manual muscle testing, which um, I don't believe is reliable. I don't believe it's clinically very useful other than saying, yes, when you push in this direction, you have pain, or when you push that direction, you don't have pain. Um, so many different things will, will alter a manual muscle test. And I just don't think that, that most physical therapists actually possess the knowledge to actually tell people where they're weak and when they're not. Side rant. No, it's so true. Because <laughs> physical therapists, like you said, don't necessarily have that background. So, yeah. I mean, unless they were in the strength and conditioning world or they taught CrossFit or maybe they were a personal trainer, how would they have that knowledge? Because PT school doesn't necessarily teach you that. We're working on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like other, I feel like more programs should have a strength and conditioning aspect of it. Cause I know at programs that I just kind of look at their curriculum and compare it to what I'm in right now. But, um, you know, some programs, even a special topics class or an, or an elective, just to teach those basics, like analyzing a squat, because you're going to have patients who are, you said, you know, high level athletes and, you have to know those things for their benefit and also to figure out, you know, what, what's um, their deficit in order to um, bring them back to uh, their sport. Even if they're not high level athletes though, the same principles apply. Uh, anytime I, I give the, the continuing education course that I teach, I say that I look at human movement through the lens of a barbell, but the principles that we're going to talk about when we talk about analyzing somebody's back squat with 400 pounds on their back, the faults that we see there are the same faults we're going to see at Doris when she shows up in the clinic and she just had a bilateral total knee replacement and we're asking her to do a sit to stand. And so if I see a, a high level athlete do a good morning squat where they shoot their hips up to get up, I know that maybe they have weak quads. And if I see Doris stand up and she just throws her trunk forward and really leans really far forward in order to get off the, the treatment plant or get out of a chair, I know Doris is also probably not strong enough in her knee extensors. So it's, it's all the same. That's why I do think that everybody needs to have the ability to, to analyze some of these basic movement patterns. You know, we, we talk about gait in school. We don't really talk about squat mechanics more than saying, don't let the knees pass the toes, which is outdated and um, false. Just things like that. We need to have a, an understanding of squat and deadlift for sure. All physical therapists do. Because no matter what patient you're working with, they are doing those patterns, unless they have a spinal cord injury. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's, you know, so many patients that you're going to be looking at. Um, analyzing the different human movements and for physical therapists who want to learn more about that where can they go to your course I know that you have your clinical education course that you teach and what do you mainly go over in it uh, the course that I teach I teach two courses for the Institute of Clinical Excellence um, in our fitness athlete division so we have three courses the first one's called essential foundations of the clinical management of the fitness athlete and it's basically what are the basics that you need to know about squat, the deadlift, the overhead press, monitoring training volume, looking at training load and appropriately loading people across the lifespan. That, that's a course. I don't teach that course. I believe that's a course that every physical therapist um, in orthopedics or sports should take. Um, Alan uh, Frindendahl and Mitch Babcock teach that course, and they've just done an excellent job with that course. Um, then the two courses that I teach are um, Clinical Management Fitness Athlete Live, and that's where we, in person, we work on your coaching skills more than anything else working on what we talked about earlier. So we're talking about how to analyze the squat, the deadlift, the overhead press, the Olympic lifts, but we're talking about it from a, how do we become better coaches of that? How do we better cue people? How do we better 
analyze those movement patterns and break them out when appropriate. So we want to make you just a bad A at being a coach in a weekend. We want to give you a, a much better skill set in that area. And I also teach a course called the Advanced Concepts in the Clinical Management of Fitness Athlete, which is if you want to be the go-to person in your area for treating CrossFit athletes, that's the course that, that we developed for you, where we talk in depth on how to analyze the Olympic lifts, how to analyze the gymnastics movements, and, and write programming, analyze programming, modify programming, things that will really set you apart from every other physical therapist or chiropractor in your area when it comes to understanding the unique demands of fitness athletes. Those are all through the Institute of Clinical Excellence at ptonice.com. Um, we also do on, on, on uh, Institute of Clinical Excellence a daily podcast, the PT on Ice Daily Show, where you have some of the smartest people in the world that are much smarter than me doing daily podcasts on different things around the profession of physical therapy. So for students, that's an awesome free resource to start learning a little bit more every day. They're, they're usually you know, a 10-minute podcast, so you can listen to that on your walk or drive into to class every day and just get a different perspective on where physical therapy is going. I love that podcast too. <laughs> They're all great. And I know, have you heard a lot of that podcast, Gabby? I actually haven't. I'm going to have to check it out and subscribe on my way home for sure. I, I love listening to everybody in there. We've just got such a unique, uh, unique combination of minds in there. I, I learned so much from everybody nonstop. That's awesome. So you have your website and then also people can find you on Instagram. And what is your Instagram name? The Barbell Physio. The Barbell Physio. And we'll also have all of the links in the show notes, of course. Um, and you said you also do some CrossFit articles. Do you still do that? Uh, I've written uh, probably 12 to 15 articles for CrossFit Journal. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, for CrossFit Journal. Um, I have not written one in a while. My, my plate is very, very full. I have three articles that I want to go write for them, but uh, I just can't find the time to do it right now unless I'm going to get divorced, which I don't plan on doing. <laughs> my, wife's, uh, my wife puts up with me working a whole lot, and I'm trying to limit that right now because I, I will work nonstop. I, I love what I do, and I could do this 20 hours a day. Um, but I also got to prioritize her a little bit. <laughs> relationships. The death of relationships. It all comes back to that, right? Yep. <laughs> and I think um, that's so important. Um, and you have so much going on, which is great because you're doing what you love. And for Barbell Physio, like, what do you see as the future of Barbell Physio? Or what do you want it to be like a year from now? Um, my goal right now in life is to impact more people in less time. So I, I've been maxing out my, my workable time for a long time and, and actually over maxing that. So I'm trying to figure out what are the different ways that I can kind of scale back my time a little bit, take care of my health a little bit more and uh, continue to impact the lives of more people. And so I just hope that the website continues to get more traction, that we can uh, continue to sell more products to athletes looking for help, that we can uh, continue to, to fill up courses with physical therapists wanting to improve their skill set. And uh, just make the world a little bit better. That's awesome. And we usually end with this question we have recently. Do you have any questions for us? <laughs> well, let me throw that back at y'all. Um, what's y'all's what's y'all's goal with the podcast, and where do you see it going? Oh, well, well, you first. <laughs> all right. So right now we are in. What are we in? We're this is December twenty first of two thousand and eighteen, and in let's see, about a month, um, we will both be attending CSM, 
the end of January and actually meeting in person. Sarah and I have never met in person. Wow. So that will be exciting. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to, um, you know, showing people, um, you know, the podcast because they're probably familiar with it. And we actually also started a student scholarship. And so um, we are, our goal is to raise $5,000 for a physical therapy student enrolled in the summer of 2019. We just wanted to give back because, you know, we're current students right now. Um, we know how hard it is at, to be a PT student and not work and just have a bunch of loans. And so that's our goal. Um, one of our big goals of 2019 and just continuing to have incredible people on the podcast because everybody who we've had so far has just gave our listeners and us just so much content and uh yeah it's it's going in a great direction and I know for me I was a little like overwhelmed with how much traction it's gotten already and Sarah and I are like oh my gosh like people are listening and yeah no pressure people are listening and um they're giving us feedback which is great so yeah that's kind of as of right now in the next I would say maybe that's like a six month Six months track. Oh, yeah. What, what an awesome goal. Uh, so many people, um, you know, I'm, I'm very business oriented in my mind and, and there's nothing wrong with making a good profit, but good grief. What does that say about y'all that, that y'all's first big goal is to raise $5,000 to help somebody else out? Awesome job. Thanks. Um, and I think to add to that too, because right now, I mean, we're not going to be advertising it a ton until it gets closer to after the holidays, because I understand the holidays are like kind of a hard time for people financially. Um, if every student just gave $1, that would be $33,000 that we could split among several students over the summer. So I think that would be a big goal for maybe in two years. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how this year goes, but I would love to give multiple scholarships. And if we could all just have that mindset of giving and helping each other out, um, I think we'd all be a little bit better off. Now, do y'all have a goal with the scholarship on it being like, uh, just to help with, with paying tuition, with paying housing, or, or is this gonna be scholarships to help send people to different continued education courses or get involved in the PT world in a different way, or just leaving that up uh, to individuals? Right now, tuition, okay. for now. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. But of course, with just $5,000, I think that would, I mean, it, barely puts a dent in a semester tuition, but I mean, <laughs> I think yes. in the future, it could definitely be for more things rather than trying to put a dent into somebody's uh, physical therapy school tuition. But yeah, I think that's the biggest goal. I'd love to have more awesome people like you on here. Um, I'm so excited at all the people who have responded and so grateful to have you on this episode as well. Thank y'all for having me. Yeah, looking forward to seeing who else comes on and hearing everybody's advice for PT students, I think is so valuable um, for PT students to really hear things other than professors talking about anatomy or neuro. No offense, professors, I love love you all. But I need something rather than just anatomy and neuro 24-7 because this is the first year and that's really what's in my head. Yep, just got to get through the first year. It gets a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've been hearing. I hope so. I, hope I right. used to wake up um, speaking the, the, routes, the routes of nerves and arteries in my sleep during my, my first year of PT school because I was just going at that those details so hard. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, for sure. And just 
learning um, some more information that we don't learn in school. And getting that from other people in the profession is just so important because um, we all know that there's only so much we can learn in PT school, but then also getting kind of this additional knowledge or resources um, to help us, you know, set us apart from, from other people is so important. So yeah, that's another thing that I really enjoy about having guests and um, just learning so much more than I would in school. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Zach. We thank y'all for asking me. Yes. Thanks for listening to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description.